Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to see you all this evening. We're here to worship the Lord, so let's stand and hear His call to us tonight to worship Him from Psalm 146. Psalm 146, verses 5 through 8 and verse 10. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's praise him with Psalm 146 from the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Praise the Lord, my soul, oh, praise Him. I will praise Him all my days. I will sing while I have being. I will sing to God my praise. Put no confidence in princes, mortal men who cannot say. All their plans will come to nothing when they perish in the grave. Oh, how blessed the man who trusts in Jacob's God to be his aid. Oh, how blessed the one whose hope upon the Lord his God is saved. He who made the earth and heaven and the seas with all their storm, he who keeps his word forever, he is faithful evermore. He will always render justice for the sake of those oppressed. He gives food to those who hunger, satisfies their emptiness. God releases all the prisoners to the blind, the Lord gives sight. He lifts up those bound in anguish and relieves them from their plight. How the Lord loves all the righteous and the alien defense. Helps the orphan and the widow, judgment on the wicked sense. God the Lord will reign forever, Zion's God forevermore, reigns through Generation, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you call us to praise you and to rejoice in you, our God, in who you are and all that you've done. Lord, we, 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 we hear your call by your Spirit and we respond with our praise and our thanks. We praise you because you are God. You alone are God. You alone are the Sovereign, the King, the Eternal God from everlasting to everlasting. We are but a vapor. But You are forever. And so we stand in awe of You and praise You, our Maker and our Sustainer. And we stand before You thankful for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You that You are good. That You are full of steadfast love and compassion that You are a God merciful and gracious, abounding in mercy and kindness for sinners. We thank You that You have shown us Your steadfast love. We thank You that You have done wondrous things for us in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We thank You that You are the One who 
satisfies the hungry soul and fills the longing soul with good things. So we pray that You would come and meet with us again tonight. You've called us to meet with You. We pray You would meet with us and speak Your Word to us and apply Your grace to us in Christ and receive our praise and our thanks. For Jesus' sake, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, at this point in the service, we have a time to sing any hymns that you'd like to sing. So feel free to take out the hymnal there and flip through the back index. And um, I think they're organized in the back by title or first line. So if there's something you're looking for, you can look for it there. I told Bev she has veto power. But she said she's, she's not scared of any of you. So are there any, any hymns you'd like to sing tonight? Yes, Eddie. All praise to thee, my God, this night. Do you know what number that is? One fifty eight. Two 
day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. kind beyond all measure, gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me. With a special mercy for each hour, all my cares he fain would bear and cheer me. He whose name is Counselor and Power, the protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he as your days, your strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust your promises, O Lord, that I not faith, sweet consolation, offered me within your holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand, one by one the days, the moments fleeting. Till I reach the promised land. It's a lovely hymn. I almost picked that one for the final hymn tonight, so I'm glad you picked it tonight, Gary. I heard a voice. Yes, Avery. 265. In Christ alone. Very good. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone. Who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. My every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory.
sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am His, and He is mine, God with the precious blood of guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. I think we might have time for one more, if there is one. If not, that's fine. Let's turn to prayer. Do you have any prayer requests or praises you'd like to share tonight, brothers and sisters? Yes, Beth. Thank you, Beth. Any others? Sorry, Kim, yes. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we bow all our hearts before you, and with one voice we come to you in prayer, thanking you first of all 
that You have redeemed us from all our sins. That You've bought us back. That You've paid the price. That You Yourself, in Christ Jesus, have taken on our guilt and punishment. And You, Lord Jesus, bore the sin uh, of all Your people to the cross. And it was nailed there with You and put to death there with You. And when You rose in glorious victory, our sin was left behind forever. And the wrath of God on us was gone forever. We thank You that there is no condemnation for us in Christ. That we are Your people. That yes, sinners, but sinners forgiven. Sinners made holy in Christ. Perfectly holy with a righteousness that we cannot add to. We thank You, Father, for the Gospel that all this is ours freely and fully in Christ. We thank You that You've filled us with Your Spirit. That You've given us life. Resurrection life. That we are no longer dead in the trespasses in which we once walked. But You've raised us up in new life with our Lord Jesus Christ. The very life that's the guarantee and down payment of the resurrection even of our bodies. We thank You that You preserve us. That You watch over us all our days as a father cares for his children. You provide for us. You meet every need. You watch over us. You protect us. And that we rest secure, body and soul, in You because of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank You, Father. We, we indeed say with a psalmist, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And our hearts are glad and our whole being rejoices. Our flesh also dwells secure. You make known to us the path of life. In Your presence there is fullness of joy. At Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even as we rejoice in You and thank You for Your goodness, we come to You, Father, with, with, our, with our cares and our burdens and we pray that You would take them. That You would hear us for Jesus' sake as we bring our requests to You. We thank You that You have called us to make known our requests to You. That You invite us and beckon us to uh, pour out our souls to You. And that You Yourself will carry us and answer us when we cry. We lift up to you Bev's friend Kevin. We are so thankful to hear the good news that, uh, that he has heard. Um, and we thank you that he heard it on the Lord's Day and that he saw your goodness in that. We thank you that there may be answers about, uh, about his health condition. We pray that you would, um, that you would indeed give, give an answer and, uh, and, and provide a, a diagnosis and a treatment and that you would watch over him and bless him and strengthen him as he waits for that at the end of December. Father, we lift up to you uh, our sister Kelsey. We thank you for her. We thank you for the life within her, uh, for this little, this little one that's growing within her. We pray that you bless the pregnancy. We pray that you would strengthen her body and soul. We pray that you would uh, keep this little one. We pray for uh, Eva as well and ask that you'd have your hand on her and on the pregnancy, that it would go well, that you'd care for this little child. We pray that each of these children would belong to you and be yours forever. Lord, we lift up to you also um, not only the young, but also the old. We think of our dear sister and mother in the faith, Marian, and we pray that you would watch over her and uphold her with your everlasting arms. We pray for wisdom for the Foss family as they need to make decisions about her care. We pray, Father, that you would uh, indeed by your providence uh, bring to pass what you know to be needful and what you know to be best for her. We pray for Kim. We thank you that, um, that she has this appointment tomorrow with her doctor. We pray that uh, it would be helpful, would be an encouragement to her, uh, and that it would provide answers and uh, a plan of treatment, and that you would encourage and, and strengthen her and have your hand on, on her for good. Father, we pray for, um, we, we pray for our, our church as a body. We pray that you would continue to build us up in faith, hope, and love that You would bind us together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and that You would be glorified even as we love and serve one another under the Gospel. We pray, Father, that Your Gospel would indeed go forth here with power 
and, and go further into our own hearts and lives and further out into this community and farther, farther out to the ends of the earth. We pray for the Farnicks, for Jerry and Marilyn Farnick in the Czech Republic. Thank you for their faithful service of Christ there. Uh, thank you for sustaining them through many years of ministry there. We pray that, that you would help the church they, there that they serve to grow in love for you and love for your people. We pray that you would bless the upcoming youth outreach events in the coming months. Thank you for your blessing on the uh, Children's Bible Club and the outreach English classes that they have been having. We pray that you would continue to bless these opportunities and, and the opportunities around Thanksgiving and Christmas, that there would be opportunities for outreach in that place. Lord, we thank you that you promise us that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That, uh, that you preserve, keep, and guard us day and night and you watch over us and you will shepherd us to glory. So in this confidence, Father, we, we pray that you would hear us, that you would answer our prayers and do good to your people for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing again as we prepare to hear God's word. Our next hymn is number 128, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. in a mysterious way His wonders to perform He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing treasures of his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds ye so much dread. Are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The blood may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan. God is His own interpreter, and He will make it plain. Amen. You may be seated. Let's hear God's Word. Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis 44 and 45. I debated for a while if I should take 44 and 45 together, but it was too hard to split them up. Uh, the story really runs, the narrative runs right from the end of 44 into 45. If you leave off with 44, it's a cliffhanger. Um, uh, you really need to get right into 45 uh, to see how uh, Joseph responds to his brother Judah's impassioned speech. Uh, so we're going to take both chapters, uh, but we're not going to read all of it. Um, we're just going to read some selections here, and that's why it's not on the screen. Uh, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 44, picking up with, picking up with verse 14. 
which is just after uh, Judah and his brothers have, have been uh, asking for grain from Joseph, and he has uh, had his servant put his silver cup in one of their sacks to frame them, uh, to make it look like they stole it. And Joseph's doing this to test their faith and their repentance and see if they've changed and how they treat the favored brother. Uh, so we're going to pick up with verse, verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. Saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Continuing into chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer them, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. We'll stop there. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Oh, excuse me. There's one more, isn't there? John 6, 35 through 40. Let's read this as well. John 6, 35 through 40. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word. We pray that you would... uh, be with the meditation of all our hearts and the words of my sinful lips, that, Lord, we would hear your word and respond in faith and love and hope to our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. For many chapters now in Genesis, we've been following Jacob's family and the story of that family, and so much of it looks like a failed project. Um, Abraham, right, we start starting out with Abraham. There's a lot of good things about him. He's not perfect, but there's a lot of strength to Abraham. Uh, He's full of faith in God. He answers the call of God quickly. Uh, He gives his heart to God completely. He trusts God so much that he's willing to sacrifice his own son uh, at God's command. Um, uh, Isaac, Isaac's pretty good. There's not as much detail on his life, but there's, there's faith there. But, but then we get to Jacob's life, and, and Jacob's life uh, is, is, is full of this vacillation, right? First of all, uh, he's, he's not faithful, he's, he's grasping, he's not trusting. Uh, but then as he grows, God, God works in him, but, but still there's so much in him that's not perfect yet, not complete yet. And it just gets worse, much worse, uh, with his children, um, his, his children, his 12, his 12 sons, 10 of them are, are particularly uh, just sinful and unfaithful and wicked. Um, we, we've seen over the chapters of Genesis we've been in the attempted murder of their brother, selling him into slavery, um, lying about it to their father. And if we go further back in their past, there's more sordid details. Um, so you take that picture, right? This covenant family. And you hold it up beside God's promise about what this family would be and what he would do through them. And they don't seem to line up at all, do they? Genesis chapter 12, God says this about this family. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's what God said about this family. But then you hold it up with what what this family is actually looking like now in in Genesis, a couple generations on from that promise. They're not being a blessing to anybody. Uh, They're they're, they're teetering on the brink of self-destruction. 
from their jealousy and their hatred of each other and the, the rivalries. Um, and and not, only, not only is their family then torn apart by this, by this sin, um, but now they're getting hit with a famine. And uh, they're in danger of completely running out of food. And this guy down in Egypt doesn't seem very happy to be giving them grain. Um, and so they're, they're facing all these difficulties, pressures outside, pressures inside, and it seems like, um, it seems like it's, a, it's a failed project. Um, what do we make of this? Where, where's God? Where's His grace? Uh, is, is He at work here? Is, is He going to heal them? Is He going to reconcile them to each other? Is He going to build this family which has been torn apart by sin and jealousy? Is He going to build them into a nation? His people? Are they going to survive the famine? God's Word, His promise, and His grace to them. His promise was that He would. Um, but the circumstances look, look different. Brothers and sisters, as we, as we look at the family, this family in Genesis, we see a, a, a picture of what our own lives are often like. Promise of God, we are a chosen and holy people. But what's the reality of our lives so much of the time? Sin, struggling, seasons of difficulty, circumstances around us that are, that are challenging and, and difficult. So where do we turn? We look to the God who preserves His people. This is the main, the main point of the text here. Genesis 45.7 gives us the main point of, of this whole section. It says, God sent me before you to preserve to you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Joseph is, 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 is saying to his brothers, all this that's happened, all the sin in our family and, and all the circumstances around us, even this famine, all of it, God's been working in it, working through it. And he's, he's superintending all of it so that you are kept alive. Not just physically kept alive, but that you are, that you are spiritually kept alive as God's own people. This is, this, is the, this is the promise of the text, that the grace of God preserves and keeps His people even in the midst of their sinful and broken lives. We see this in the, in the two chapters here in, in three things. I'm going to unpack this with three questions. We pick up the story with chapter 44, and the, the first question is, is this. What does the grace of God do with His sinful people? What does the grace of God do with His sinful people? Uh, picking up at chapter 44, uh, Joseph has just given all his brothers the royal treatment. Um, he's, he's, they, they've come down to Egypt to buy grain, and he is, he's, he's uh, welcomed them into his own home. He's spread a feast for them. He was doing it as part of a test. He gave Benjamin five times the, the serving he gave everybody else uh, to, to test them to see if they would be jealous of their brother Benjamin as they once had been jealous of him. They, they passed the test, that first test. Uh, the, the text tells us that they, they, they ate and drank and they were merry with him. There was no jealousy there, but he has one more test for them. Uh, and this is the hardest test of all. Um, he, after they've eaten, he gives them the grain that they came for. Um, but then he tells his steward to go take the silver cup that was, that was his own special cup and to take it and slip it into Benjamin's sack. Benjamin, of course, uh, the father's favorite uh, and the brothers have no idea this has happened. They suspect nothing at all. They think the trip has gone well. They, they went to get grain. They got grain. They got Simeon back out of prison, and Benjamin is with them. Oh, good. They, they can breathe a sigh of relief as they leave Egypt, head back to Canaan to see their father, right? Their father who was so nervous about letting Benjamin go in the first place. And so they've just left Egypt. They're, they've got the grain. They've got their brothers, both brothers back, and they're heading home, and then their hearts sink because there's a cloud of dust behind them and here comes Joseph's steward maybe riding up in his chariot, chasing them down. He comes riding up. What is this you've done? Starts accusing them. Um, he says to them, why have you repaid evil for good? And then he tells them there that, the, that, that they've taken Joseph's silver cup 
And he warns them that Joseph uses this cup for divination. Uh, in ancient Egypt, uh, there, was a, there was a kind of a, a practice of, of mixing oil and water or wine and water in a cup and kind of swirling it around and, and kind of trying to find out the mind of the gods or, or, or get some kind of revelation from them. Um, Joseph doesn't do this. Right? He's a godly, God-fearing man, but the steward is using this to try to make them scared. He's basically saying that they stole the phone with the tracking location turned on. Um, he's saying, How, why would you think to do that? We can track you. You've got the, the cup of divination. Um, he's trying to uh, see if they will own up to it. The brothers are shocked. Uh, if you've ever been accused of something that you know you did not do, I'm sure you know how they felt. Uh, they're they're shocked because they didn't do what uh, what, 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 uh, they're being accused of having done. And they're so confident about it that they say that uh, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. They're so sure. They're so sure of their own innocence. They're also sure of each other. It's, It's a mark of their growth and maturity, isn't it? That they're confident not only I, I didn't take the cup, but they're, they're confident none of my brothers would do such a thing. There's growth there. But they all get off their donkeys, unload their sacks. The steward starts going through. Um, you can feel the tension, the suspense building because he starts, the steward knows it's in Benjamin's sack, but he starts with Reuben, right, the oldest, and he works slowly one after the other, opening up the sack. There's the money put back in their sacks again but not the silver cup. And he goes through all the way down to Benjamin. Comes to Benjamin's sack and he opens it and there's the cup. And the the brothers tear their clothes, we're told, in verse 13. They are full of shock and they're they're, they're in disbelief um, over what has happened. Um, When they get back to the city, uh, Joseph seems angry with them. He says, what deed is this that you have done. What do you do in that moment? How do you respond? Um, what do you say? Uh, I didn't take it? I mean, the cup's right there. Um, they have no case to make. Joseph claims to know by divination Benjamin stole it, and this looks like the end. It looks like, uh, at this point, he's going to take Benjamin and maybe kill him, maybe take him into slavery in his house, and Benjamin will never see his father again. And, and they're not going to be getting any more grain if this has indeed happened. This is the end of the family. They go back without their brother, without grain. Jacob dies. And then they have no food. But then Judah, Judah steps forward. And we've seen Judah. We, we, we've seen him in the past, right? His uh, sexual immorality, his, his, his disloyalty, his jealousy. He took a leading role in sending Joseph down in slavery to Egypt in the first place many, many years before. But now, here he is. He steps forward and he's the hero of the hour. Work of God's grace in him. First of all, in verse 16, he does something surprising. First, he admits guilt. It's really interesting, isn't it? He says, God has found out the guilt of our servants. What's he say? Is he, is he admitting, yeah, we took the cup? Well, no, they they didn't take the cup. That's not what he's admitting. He's acknowledging, though, that that he's a guilty sinner before God. He's acknowledging that all the brothers are guilty sinners before God. And he he sees that in this, God is, 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 is bringing them punishment for the sin they did so many years before against their, their brother Joseph when they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And jo- Judah sees this as, we sold our brother into slavery in Egypt. Now we're getting taken as slaves in Egypt. God's payment. We're guilty. So he acknowledges their guilt. He doesn't stop there. Then he goes on and he, he pleads. He pleads for his brother's life. And he offers his own life in place of his brother. We get the longest speech of anyone in Genesis here in, in Judah's speech as he, as he makes this impassioned plea for Joseph to have mercy on Benjamin. He even reports the words of Jacob in verse 27. Jacob said that my wife bore me two sons. What would it be like 
when Jacob had 12 sons and you're one of the other 10 to hear your dad say, I have two sons. Right? But once upon a time, that would have made Judah so angry. But, but now, it's not angering him anymore. He, he's actually saying, look, Benjamin is my father's favorite. My father loves him. His life is bound up with him. Once Judah did not have any qualms about going back to Jacob with his brother Joseph's bloody torn coat and saying, look, he died. And seeing it crush his father. He had no problem with that once. But now here he is, and, and, and he's pleading for his brother's life. Yes, for his brother's sake, whom he loves, and also for his father, whom he loves. He's learned to love Jacob, his father, as well as, as his, his brother Benjamin. Even though the circumstances haven't changed, the favoritism's still there. But, but Judah, Judah loves his father. And so he says that uh, he, he gives his own life for, for Benjamin's life. He says in verses 32 through 34, your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me. I fear to see the evil that would find my father. He's not just... Um, he made a promise to his father he would make sure Benjamin came back and, and it wasn't just words. He's committed to this. And this is not an easy thing for Judah to say. He's got family back home. He's got a life back home in Canaan. But he's stepping forward, willing to say goodbye to all that, become a slave for the rest of his life so that Benjamin can go free. Our Lord Jesus said, greater love has no one than this and that he laid down his life for his friend. And that is exactly what Judah is doing. This, brothers and sisters, is what God's grace does in his sinful people. He takes Judah's of Genesis 38 lustful, disloyal, running from God, not caring for his father. He takes Judas of Genesis 38 and turns them into Judas of Genesis 44. Self-sacrificing, loyal, loving, faithful, kind, ready to lay down his life for his father's sake, for his brother's sake. Right? God is able to do glorious things with his people. Even, even the worst of sinners, that, that if he's at work in that sinner's life, he can do glorious and wonderful things in them. We see it with Judah. We see it with the Apostle Paul, don't we? The way that God grabbed hold of him, turned him around from being proud, covetous, violent, and turned him into one of the foremost of the apostles. He's done it over and over, hasn't he? John Bunyan, you probably know his story, uh, the slave trader um, whom God turned around and made a gospel preacher. And John Bunyan, writing his autobiography, entitled it Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Bunyan knew personally, God has come into my life, I'm the chief of sinners, but his grace has abounded to me and transformed me. And, and so it's done here with 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 Judah and brothers and sisters, that is what we should cry out for God to do for us. That in the sin of our lives, He would come, He'd get to work, and He'd be changing us, He'd be at work in us, and that He would be shaping us more and more like Christ. That's what God's grace does. He does it in His sinful people. The next thing we see here is in chapter 45. And the second question here is, what does the grace of God do with his broken covenant people? So what does the grace of God do with a sinner? Well, it, he changes him. He changes him into the image of Christ. What does God do now? What does the grace of God do with his broken covenant people? Um, stepping into chapter 45. So Judah's speech is wrapped up. How does Joseph respond? Verse 1 says he cannot control himself. He asks all the Egyptians to leave. The Egyptians don't like displays of emotion. 
Joseph is about to display a lot of emotion. So he says, you guys better leave. Uh, so, so they go out, and, uh, uh, and then he tells his brothers, I am Joseph. Um, and you can imagine their response, right? Shock, terror, um, probably thinking, this is it. This is the end. That's why he's been mistreating us. Here comes, here comes the revenge. Uh, he can do whatever he wants to us. He can kill us. He can throw us into prison. He can hold our sin over our heads and manipulate us whoever he wants, right? Um, but what does he say? He, he sees their fear. And what does he say? Come near to me. I am your brother, Joseph. You sold me into Egypt, but don't be distressed or angry with yourselves, for God sent me before you to preserve life. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He reassures them that it's the providence of God, and he's not holding this against them. And then they embrace. Verses 14 and 15 give us a wonderful picture of this sweet family reunion. Um, he falls upon his brother Benjamin's neck. He kissed all his brothers. He wept upon them. And then his brothers talked with him. So they talked a long time about all kinds of things, all that had happened since, since those days. Um, they had been ready to murder him at one point. Uh, the only thing that kept them from, from shedding his blood was the chance to make a little money off of him by selling him into slavery. Their family has this baked-in generational favoritism, jealousy, rivalry. Uh, it's, it's, it's ruined so much of their family's life. But the grace of God brings them all to this moment where there's healing now. There's forgiveness. There's repentance, real repentance on the side of the sinners, the, the sinful brothers. And then there's real forgiveness on the side of Joseph. And that's all the work of God doing this. God makes them able to repent, makes Joseph able to forgive, and he's, he's restoring, he's healing. He's not, just, he's not just patching up the holes that sin tore in the fabric of their family, but he's, he's unraveled the whole thing and he's knit it all back together again. Stronger, better than it was before. Um, giving them this, this deep unity. That's what the grace of God does in his people's lives. That's, that's, what, that's what the effect of knowing the gospel does in your life. Um, it, it breaks down the dividing walls. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. God in the cross killed the hostility between Jew and Gentile. God unites us with Christ and each other in the gospel. Forgiveness and reconciliation with God and with each other. Does this mean that we should expect to experience in our own various, perhaps, broken relationships? Should we expect to experience the same kind of reconciliation that we see in this family here? Well, we, we might. Sometimes we do see this. God bringing deep reconciliation and peace to His people in this life. Not always. But the picture here is one we can look forward to, whether in this life or the next of how God will heal the broken relationships among His people. Um, some, some, some divisions in Christ's church, this side of glory, run painfully deep. And some divisions, even within families of Christians, can run painfully deep. God will sooner or later heal those, this life or the next, by the gospel of the grace of Christ. There's nothing else that can do that. Give them reconcile sinners like that. The third question, the rest of chapter 45. What does the grace of God do with his people in a season of danger and hardship? What does the grace of God do with his people in a season of danger or hardship? It preserves them, keeps them alive, it sustains them and protects them and gives them life. Um, in Genesis 45, the famine is only two years in. There are still five years of famine to go. It's going to be a long time. Um, uh, I have no concept of what it would be like to live through a famine like this. There, there's probably a drought. It's covering all of Egypt, all of the Promised Land, Canaan, uh, probably, probably a, a wider area around that as well. It's severe enough in year two that Jacob is already sending his his sons down to Egypt to buy grain. Uh, 
and, and they, they already have to get more. Uh, there's probably not enough for their animals. It's a, it's a real hardship. Uh, it's a life-threatening thing for them. Um, what does God do for His covenant people? He gives them the best land in Egypt. He gives them grain that they did not work to plant or harvest. He, does it, he, he gives it to them without them having to pay for it. He, he, he provides richly and abundantly for them. He brings them down to Egypt. Joseph tells us in verse 7, this is God's whole purpose and plan. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Their brother is the person in charge of all the food in Egypt. They're going to have everything they need. They get the very bar- best part of the land. Uh, they get laden with gifts to take back to their father. All of this comes not because they worked for it or earned it, but this is God's grace to them. His grace is sufficient for them to meet their needs. Just uh, uh, th- th- think about how, how they would have been looking at this circumstance just, just moments before they, they knew uh, that, that Joseph had forgiven them. Right? Everything seemed over. But now they see the grace of God freely and abundantly providing for all their needs. Um, They couldn't have predicted this through all the twists and turns of providence um, and all the hardships they went through, that God was working for this end. But He was. And brothers and sisters, in our own circumstances, in our own lives, when we see the hairpin turns of God's providence um, and threaten to go off the road at times, and uh, circumstances are there which make us doubt God's sufficiency to preserve us, um, what, what, what do we need to do? Remember the sufficiency of His grace. That, that, that He gets us through every circumstance and He provides for us and leads us and, and gives us all that we need for life. Um, he does it for us. He does it for our families through, uh, through His grace. He does it for our church. Um, he provides he preserves. He protects. Um, and He does it without needing us to really do anything. Um, Jacob, right? Jacob, he's going through this famine. He thinks he's about to lose perhaps his favorite son. And then he looks up from his tent one day and wonderful news. News that knocks him off his feet. Joseph's alive. Benjamin's here too. And we're all going to Egypt where there's plenty of grain. Look how God has provided over and over and over again. The Lord preserves His people. That's, that's the fundamental lesson here. That, that, that God is preserving the covenant family. He's keeping them from their own sin. He's keeping them from... Uh, he's growing them in holiness by His grace. He, he's healing their, their, their torn apart family. And now He's providing for their needs, uh, keeping them from this famine. He's preserving them. Carrying his promise forward, keeping their going out and their coming in. And that's our confidence. He keeps us, preserves us by his grace to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. If it's true for Jacob and his family, brothers and sisters, that through the prayers of Judah and through the kingly provision of Joseph, they are kept, how much more true is it for us? through the prayers and intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ, pleading on our behalf, and the provision of Christ reigning over us and dispensing to us every grace, how much more sure can we be that He'll work all things for our good and keep us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the riches that are ours in Christ. We thank You for our our Redeemer. We thank You for your, Your mercy and Your grace at work in us. Help us to keep our eyes on You and to walk by faith in the work that you do. We, we pray, Father, that we would rest knowing you are the one who keeps us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word with a hymn number 257, Children of the Heavenly Father. Children of the Heavenly Father, safely in His bosom gather, nestling bird nor star 
are in heaven, such a refuge e'er was given. God is owned, oft and nourish. In his holy courts they flourish. From all evil things he spares them. In his mighty arms he bears them. Neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord his children sever. Unto them his grace he showeth, and their sorrows all he knoweth. Praise the Lord in joyful numbers, your protector never slumbers. At the will of your defender, every foeman must surrender. Though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaken, is the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. More secure is no one Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.